Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. He was poised to do what he was told to do. There was no last-minute refusal. Abraham was about to take the life of the son God had so long ago promised. All the plans God had for Isaac and his descendants were about to end with the plunge of a knife. The Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible you thought you knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. In last week's podcast, we left the story, unfinished, that Judaism calls the Akedah. This was just at the time when God made sure that Abraham knew that the son the patriarch was to sacrifice was none other than Isaac. We wondered whether Abraham would protest, even throw a fit. Instead, the dubious journey began in silence, a silence that continues. The trip had gone on for three days when Abraham saw the place from afar. We are not told how he knew that he had arrived. Finally, at last, he says something. He orders the two young men to stay with the donkey while he and Isaac go off to worship. Then, he adds, we will return. But a question arises at this point. When Abraham told the two young men that he and Isaac were going off to worship and that they would return, was he being truthful? Was he wanting everyone in the party to relax, especially Isaac? After all, what would have happened had Abraham said, You two stay here while I go and sacrifice Isaac. The two young men would have been flabbergasted, and Isaac would have been totally traumatized. What else could Abraham have said? We can't know what Abraham thought. We only have his words. But it seems likely that he felt the need to soft-pedal what he was about to do. Whether he believed, or merely hoped, that Isaac would indeed return with him to the young men is impossible to ascertain. The silence resumes when Abraham and Isaac walk to the place where they would ostensibly worship. Another succession of verbs accents the silence. Abraham took the wood for the offering, verb 1, placed it on Isaac, verb 2, and took the fire and knife, verb 3. Then a verb with a plural subject, and the two of them walked together. This silence is finally broken when Isaac opens his mouth and poses his heart-wrenching question. He said, My father, to which Abraham replied, Yes, my son. Isaac continues, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offer? Turns out that Isaac has witnessed other sacrifices. He knew the checklist. Wood, check. Fire, check. Knife, check. Lamb, check. Did Isaac think that his father had forgotten the most important item for the sacrifice? Was the old man not as sharp as he once was? How could someone forget the lamb? 
These questions may seem completely innocent from Isaac's point of view, but how poignant they must have sounded to Abraham. No wonder he was not being talkative. What would he say when Isaac posed a question as innocent as it was troubling? Abraham's deflection was simple. God will see to it, that is, the lamb for the offering. But we are nagged by that response. Did Abraham truly believe this? Or did he say this to mollify Isaac once more? He had to say something like this or come clean that Isaac was the offering. Isaac had asked about the lamb. Abraham said that God would provide one. Having said this, another plural verb lets us know that the two of them walked together. Evidently, Isaac was satisfied, and Abraham saw no need to elaborate. Before there is time for other questions or any talk whatsoever, they came to the place of which God had spoken. Immediately Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he bound Isaac his son, giving the chapter its infamous name, and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac is silent. So is Abraham. As the episode unfolds, we watch, so to speak, with horror to see what Abraham will do next. Surely he will come to his senses, plead for his son's life, refuse to go through with this heinous demand. The consequences be damned. But the narrative does not spare us one bit. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. He was poised to do what he was told to do, there was no last-minute refusal. Abraham was about to take the life of the son God had so long ago promised. All the plans God had for Isaac and his descendants were about to end with the plunge of a knife. Then, at the last minute, just in the nick of time, an angel calls out Abraham's name and orders him to stop what he was about to do. Abraham! Abraham! the angelic voice from heaven cried. And Abraham almost absurdly responded, Here I am. The Lord's angel continued, Don't stretch out your hand, presumably with the knife still in it, against the boy. Indeed, do not do anything to him. For now I know that you are someone who fears God, for you have not withheld your only son from me. That was what God was trying to discover whether Abraham would withhold his son. The test was administered. Abraham passed. At this point, it is impossible to digest fully what the test entailed. Before we have time to sort out what we think about what has transpired, Abraham spots a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. In a flash, Abraham goes to the ram, grabs it, and offers it as an offering instead of his son. Given the momentous nature of what has just happened, Abraham decides to sanctify the moment and the place with a naming ceremony. So he named that place, the Lord will see to it, or provide, which literally means to see before. 
The narrator underscores the gravity of what Abraham had done by noting that it is said to this day, the mountain where the Lord saw to it or was seen. The ambiguity may be purposeful. But the angel was not through. The messenger called to Abraham a second time, as though to ritualize this incredible event. The angel elaborated by saying, I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and increase your progeny like the stars of heaven or sand on the seashore, and your progeny will possess the gate of their enemies. And in your progeny, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Then Abraham returned to the two young men. They got up and walked together to Beersheba, which is where Abraham lived. But try as we might, we cannot leave the story on that note. There are too many unanswered questions. Have we paid attention to all the details? Have we settled the matter too easily? What have we missed? Well, for one thing, there is the matter of the animal that was sacrificed. Isaac had wondered about the lamb, Hebrew Seth, and Abraham said that God would see to it that a lamb, again Hebrew Seth, appeared. God did provide an animal, but it was not a lamb. It was an idol, a ram. Why a different animal? Why was Abraham wrong? You may say, what's the difference? They had an animal. Who cares whether it was a lamb or a ram? But in a story so spare, brief, even cryptic, it is fair to ask, why the change? Either animal was presumably suitable for the offering, but if Abraham mentioned or even hoped for a lamb, and if God was behind the animal's appearance, why a ram instead of a lamb? I can think of two reasons, only one of which I will mention right now. I'll mention the other in a minute. Perhaps this is the narrator's way of saying that what God had in mind for the offering, and indeed for the test itself, was not in the line of what Abraham had been thinking. Abraham's being mistaken about the identity of the animal suggests that he was not tracking the whole episode accurately a lamb would have been perfectly acceptable for an ordinary offering. But what God wanted in this test was not in the least ordinary. We need to think about this some more. There is another detail, in some ways a glaring detail, that must also be brought to attention. Who were the two young men who went with Abraham and Isaac on that fateful trip? Most interpreters say they were servants. Well, that makes some sense, except they do not lift a finger in the whole episode. Quite pointedly, we were told that Abraham saddled the donkey and cut the wood. Anything that needed to be done, Abraham did it. If they came along as servants, why were they so idle? This was the best job in the world. Every verb having to do with work had either Abraham or Isaac as its subject. We'll come back to that momentarily. 
I want us to note one more detail at the conclusion of the story. Did you notice we are not told that Isaac came down from the mountain with Abraham when he returned to the two young men? When Abraham got to them, they, Abraham and the two young men, arose and walked together back to Beersheba. For the third time, the exact same phrase is used, but this time it involved not Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham and the two young men. Isaac seems not to have accompanied them. Why? What gives? Again, the question looms. If the two young men were not servants, who were they? And what should we make of Isaac's not coming down from the mountain? This may get at the heart of the story. Let's return to the matter of the ram. Only one other time is a ram mentioned in the Abraham saga. That is Genesis 15.9. When God instructs Abraham to prepare animals for a strange ritual, the animals Abraham needed to fetch were a heifer, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Abraham proceeded to cut in half the heifer and the ram. The turtle dove and pigeon were left whole. When predatory birds swooped down on the slaughtered animals, Abraham drove them away. No one is certain what this religious ceremony represents. But right after Abraham does this, he falls into a deep sleep and is shrouded with darkness. Then God announces that Abraham's descendants will one day be enslaved by a great power, which God will eventually punish. While the darkness continues, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch are added to this bizarre ritual. At that point, God reiterates the covenant made with Abraham and Sarah by describing the land that will be possessed by their descendants. What is fascinating about this, perhaps just as fascinating as the mysterious ritual itself, is that it takes place right after Abraham complained that he remained childless so that should he die right away, Eliezer, a slave, would be his legal heir. The ram caught by its horns in the thicket at Moriah makes us remember this extraordinary scene and, of course, Eliezer. Was Eliezer one of the two young men who accompanied Abraham and Isaac? If so, what about Ishmael, Abraham's son of convenience? The Hebrew word for young man is na'ar. The plural is na'arim. So two young men, or na'arim, accompanied Abraham and Isaac on their journey, and two young men walked with Abraham on the return trip. I suggested previously that the sole narrative in which Eliezer is mentioned is signaled by the use of ram, which surprises us when Isaac asked about a lamb and Abraham predicted a lamb. Is there a signal for Ishmael? I think so. In the chapter immediately preceding Genesis 22, we have a story that features Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac has just been weaned, so he is a toddler. 
Ishmael, his half-brother, is one day playing. This upset Sarah, who thought Ishmael was playing with Isaac, even though the Hebrew text does not say this. Due to this apparent paranoia, Sarah deduces that Ishmael is trying to position himself to be an eventual heir along with Isaac. No such motive is ever attributed to Ishmael, or for that matter, Hagar. Nevertheless, Sarah demands that Abraham throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the family. Though he objected, Abraham follows through with this heartless order. But just before Abraham does Sarah's bidding, God shows up and tells him not to worry. God has plans for Ishmael's future too. When God says this, Ishmael is referred to as a Na'ar, a young man. When Hagar and Ishmael are on the run and in great distress because they had run out of water, God shows up again and reassures them of divine protection. What is most interesting in this scene is that when Hagar is deeply concerned about Ishmael's fate, both she and the narrator call Ishmael a child, or Hebrew yelid. That is in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 21. But as God listens, God hears a young man, or Na'ar, and as well God says, now speaking as an angel, that God has heard the voice of the young man, the Na'ar. God refers to Ishmael once more in this manner when promising to make him a great nation too. Once Hagar realized all of a sudden that she was by a source of water, she made sure that the young man got a drink. Finally, this touching scene concludes with our being informed that God was henceforth with the young man, or Na'ar. My suggestion is that the two young men in Genesis 22, who, as we saw, did absolutely nothing to indicate they were servants, were, as a matter of fact, the two other sons of Abraham. Only one had legal status. The other had a biological connection, but was born because neither Sarah nor Abraham believed that God could come through with the promise of a son. Remember that this episode began with a call to Abraham that was verbatim with the original call in Genesis 12. In the latter instance, Abraham was mostly obedient, except he fudged in the matter of bringing his nephew Lot with him. In this latter call, Abraham was being tested not to make a similar mistake. This time, though, it involved Isaac, none other than the child of promise. And this time, despite the radically absurd nature of this call, Abraham would obey by going against every instinct he had as a father. God was testing him to know the extent by which Abraham realized that God was doing something that transcended normal paternal feelings. This made no sense. This was outrageous. This was jumping into an abyss. But Abraham finally had to trust God completely implicitly, without reserve or even hesitation. And until he did that with Isaac, 
the son of promise without whom God's plans for the world would fail, Abraham could not have a proper relationship with the two young men, Eliezer and Ishmael. Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac. God prevented that. But Isaac remained symbolically and imaginatively on the mountain, indicating that this son ensured the future God had in mind for the world. Abraham finally got it and was able to go home with his other two sons while leaving Isaac in a mysterious way, still on the mountain. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so... All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review, ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless.